When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age and its game and its lore and everything. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby or Sheacup. All right. And we are back after our little bit of a hiatus. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we were gone long enough to call it a hiatus, but it's definitely been a while since we've had a conversation about a character or about a lore topic because, you know, we were off for a week with the holidays. And then before that, we had our patron chat trivia episode. So it has definitely been a while since we've dug into the actual lore of Dragon Age. Well, I can think of no better way to kind of kick us back out with this whole thing then to start with a character deep dive the first character deep dive of 2023 yeah and also the last character deep dive of season four when when we come back around next week it will be season five so this is our last episode of season four yeah Big deal, big deal. All right, so who are we talking about today? So we're talking about Morgan today. And one of the reasons why I chose her is because she has shape-shifting magic, which if you've played Origins, you know that. Um, And she often shape-shifts into like a spider, or I think she has a bear. And there are several different options that she can shape-shift into. And since we've been talking all about creatures this season, I wanted... Um, somebody else who has some kind of affiliation with a creature. And, well, this was as close as we could do. So, we're talking about Morgan to close it all out. Mm-hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. 
But mages that we see with actual shape-shifting abilities are would be Morgan, Flemeth, and maybe Morgan's sister. Yavanna is Morgan's sister. I don't know if we ever actually see her shapeshift. Um, it's an ability, it's a or a specialization in origin, so the hero of Ferelden can gain it. Yes. I don't remember if it's uh, a specialization in DA2 or not. Um, I don't think so, but... No. Yeah. So it is a more rare, I would say, ability. Um, but that is a perfect question to transition us into my kind of intro because Morgan is an apostate mage, was an apostate mage. She was also a witch of the wilds, daughter of Flemeth, and a companion of the hero of Ferelden and the Inquisitor. So she did use her shape-shifting magic to aid in the eradication of the fifth light. Interestingly enough, Morgan is one of the only party members, along with Sten, who recognize the dream that the sloth demon creates in the Fade is not real. Her and Sten are the only ones who actually recognize that this is not reality, which is really interesting. Um, a apostate mage and a Kunari warrior neither of whom have any affinity, affiliation with, or love for the Chantry. But secondly, um, Morgan is not a blood mage, nor does she have the blood mage specialization in the game, but she does claim that some of the magic she knows and uses could be classified as such. Hmm. She's also referenced multiple times in Dragon Age 2, but she never appears in the game. Um, if she did, she would be in all three games because she does appear in Inquisition. This next fun fact is my favorite fun fact ever that we have ever done. In The Sims, specifically the My Sims Sky Heroes expansion, Morgan, along with Commander Shepard from Mass Effect, appear as cameo characters. And in The Sims 3, a character named Morgan Hemlock appears in a late night hmm. expansion pack. And it's kind of an uh, um, a nod to Morgan from Dragon Age. Interesting. And another fun fact, which is another great one. I love this little detail. Morgan's dress in Inquisition, in the Inquisition quest, Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts, appears very, very similar to the clothes that Liliana says that she thinks Morgan should dress in. Liliana says this in Origins, and this is what she says. And this is ambient dialogue. Dark red velvet, yes, with gold embroidery. It should be cut low in the front, of course. We don't want to hide your features. It's extremely similar to the dress she wears in Inquisition. Yes, it is. And then kind of going off of this, the last thing um, I have to say is that according to a conversation between Liliana and a messenger in Inquisition, if Kieran is present in the world state and Kieran is Morgan's son, Morgan claims that her red velvet dress was chosen by Kieran, to which Liliana says the boy has wonderful taste. 
So that was kind of the fun fact to the fun fact. Well, this next one is the fun fact to the fun fact to the fun fact. Um, Claudia Black voices Morgan and her real life son, Odin Black, voices Kieran. That's so cute. Right. So their lines are actually like mother and son. Mm -hmm. And those are all the fun facts I had. I had quite a lot of fun facts today. Well, they were very fun. Good. I'm glad. So let's get into her general bio and like involvement in the games. We know she appears in Origins. She also appears in Dragon Age Inquisition. And she also appears in the Witch Hunt DLC. So we'll get into each of those. But before we do that, I wanted to talk about her childhood. So Morgan is the daughter of Flemeth who has reportedly had many, many daughters and has lived for centuries. Morrigan is the most current daughter in this cycle. We do know and have met and we have discussed on this podcast another of Flemeth's daughters, and that is Yavanna. Now, Yavanna appears in a comic, so she doesn't necessarily appear in any of the games, but you can seek out that content if you are interested. But Morrigan is younger than Yavanna. So, Morgan either does not know or will not tell us about Flemeth's true origins. She does tell us a little bit about what people say Flemeth is and how Flemeth treated her, but she doesn't ever outright say, for sure, this is who Flemeth is, 100%. So, what she does tell us is specifically about her childhood and that's that Flemeth raised her in almost total and complete isolation from any civilization which created in Morrigan a huge distrust of humanity along the way which spoiler alert if we think about Flemeth being Mythal it that makes total sense to me um, but because of all that, Morrigan has a major affinity for animals and creatures, especially of the Korkari wilds, which is where she grew up. And I think that also explains her talents in shape-shifting from a lore perspective, not just from a mechanical perspective. And so, while Flemeth raised Morrigan to live in complete and total isolation away from all civilization, that doesn't mean Morrigan was never curious. Morrigan was very curious, in fact. She was not only spotted multiple times by human hunters and locals, she also ventured into or near Lothering multiple times. So, while Morrigan is wary of humanity when we meet her, I don't think that you can say that this has always been the case. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing, one of the last things I really wanted to talk about with Morrigan's childhood is that it's implied in um, the world of Thetis, similar to Wynn's baby daddy situation. It's implied that Morrigan's father is of chastened origin and the chastened are like one of the tribes that hangs out in the Korkari wilds and in that area. So that's a little bit about Morgan's childhood. I do want to talk a little bit about Flemeth's parenting style. When the Two Girls, One Ship podcast covered the Dragon Age origin romances, they talked a lot about Morgan's childhood and basically asserted that Flemeth was an abusive parent. And for me, I had never 
thought about it that way. But in looking back, I think that that's very obviously what has happened. And we can we can talk about, oh, Flemeth is a cool character and she has an amazing voice actress and she has a lot of lore potential. And I agree with all of that. But at the same time, I do absolutely see where she was at least at minimum an emotionally abusive mom to Morrigan. And I think you really see the effects of that in Inquisition when Morgan is so dead set, like she's willing to die to guarantee that her son does not suffer through the same things that she suffered through. Um, and I think that that is just character growth perfected. What do you think? I definitely do agree with all of that. And I definitely see Flemeth as abusive in Morgan, especially the story Morgan tells us of her childhood when she sneaks into a human camp or human something and she steals like a mirror or some kind of glass thing, whatever. And Flemeth catches her and she basically calls her like a stupid idiot girl and then shatters the mirror thing in front of her. And Morgan kind of tells this as like, uh, ha ha, look at this, look how quirky my mom is too and like she taught me to like not desire anything and don't be stupid but you read that and you see that as like oh your parent that's not that's not okay i think that people who have emotionally abusive parents or just abusive parents in general who even have been in abusive relationships it's really easy to make jokes about it like laugh it off mm-hmm. um especially when you're not like super close to the trauma when you're when you're uh, when you have some distance when you have a little bit of space it's easy to be like oh yeah ha, this funny story and then people are like that's not a funny story like you know there's a ton of memes like oh well you mean you like i listen to my parents footsteps and can tell like how mad they are and it's like that's not normal that's hyper vigilance there like there are characteristics you're exhibiting as a person that you don't realize come mm-hmm. from your reaction to being abused and i think we see a lot of those characteristics in morgan i didn't like put this in the notes or anything but i just i just think that it bears a lot of resemblance and i think it comes by to like in my canon the hero of Ferelden is Morgan's friend. They very much work with her and try to bring her out of this cold cynic shell. And so by the time that she does have Kieran, I think that she's in a much healthier place to understand what it means to care and love and raise a child based on the interaction that my hero of Ferelden has had with her. But like, it's that point of she needs a friend or romantic interest. I think that it's better as a friend than a love interest, but just like to show her that love doesn't have to be this kind of foolish made up thing that you think it is, um, or that you've always been told that it is. That kind of step really helps broaden the thing. And I think it's a good move on Bioware to build that into the relationship because then they're not following into this trope of, oh, this woman had a child and now she's soft. Like, oh, motherhood just makes you more loving automatically. Right. I totally agree with that. And I especially love the friendship. I think Morrigan 
along with Meryl, I say this about Meryl too, they just need someone to be their friend. They need to know that someone can love them for themselves and not have any other motives for loving them, whether that's sex or getting something else, like just friendship. Um, mm-hmm. So I agree with you that my hero of Ferelden always befriends Morgan, always becomes her best friend um, just because she grows so much. And like, you can leave her in that dark abused place if you want to um but i think once you recognize some of the crass and violent things she says at the beginning of the game as projection as the effects of being raised in complete and total isolation she takes on a different light and we'll get into some of that more later right so let's um let's get into origins a little bit that's her childhood so Morgan is the second permanent companion that you encounter in the game, um, excluding if you have conversation with Wynne and Ostagar. You don't get her at that time. Um, you obviously meet Alistair first in Ostagar, but uh, Morgan is met in the wilds, which she first follows you in animal form, if you notice, and then later leads you to Flemeth, where you gain access to the Grey Warden treaties. She, at this time, does not join the party, though. Um, you have to wait until after the Tower of Ishal quest is finished, and the Warden and Alistair, you wake up recovering from your wounds in Flemeth's hut, and you basically learn like everything that went down at Ostagar. And then when you begin to leave, Flemeth sends Morrigan to join you on your fight. Now, this is what I was talking about earlier. We we learn that Morgan has some pretty harsh views when you interact with her. Number one, she thinks that love is absolutely meaningless. Beauty is absolutely meaningless. They're fleeting. They don't have any meaning whatsoever. If you try to flirt with her, she says something like, I'm not going to fall in love with you. I don't believe in love, whatever. Um Power and survival, on the other hand, are very, very important, which if you think about someone having to live in the middle of nowhere, isolated by themselves, they don't have a village of people supporting them. Of course, power and and survival is more important than love and beauty. But Morgan also tends to be really callous and cold toward the people that she doesn't respect, namely Alistair. First and foremost, um, she also encourages the warden to gain power at all costs, wherever possible, gain as much power as you possibly can, even if it puts other people in danger. She also really doesn't approve of charity and generosity. Um, She sees those people as people who don't have power, people who are weak, and so we shouldn't help them because we need to help ourselves. Again, When you look at this from a perspective of, okay, well, we're trying to gain as much power as we can so that we can fight the archdemon. And from a person who comes from isolation, I think that makes sense. Not saying it's okay, but I think it makes sense. And then lastly, Morgan has a fascination with ancient magic from the get-go, which we do see later in Dragon Age Inquisition. But from the get-go, this is an interest of hers. And she tends to sympathize with apostates and people who are Maleficar. 
I think it's pretty clear that Flemeth has instilled a lot of these values in her. Obviously, Flemeth doesn't care about beauty because she presents herself as this old, haggard woman. Um, but throughout the game, if you befriend or if you romance Morgan or both, she does begin to rethink a lot of her utilitarian viewpoints. So one of these options to do this, if you befriend Morgan and you do the side quest where you have to find Flemeth's black grimoire, Morgan confides in you and tells you about what Flemeth plans for her, which is that she wants to possess Morgan's body in order to stay alive longer. And Morgan, Morgan tells you that this is what Flemeth has done to all of her other daughters throughout the centuries. She begs you desperately to kill Flemeth for her. You can try to kill Flemeth. Um, you can go fight her. Um, and then you can go back to Morgan or you can, you cannot fight Flemeth and lie to Morgan and say that you did when you didn't. But if you go and fight Flemeth, she shapeshifts into a high dragon. And it is literally one of the hardest fights in the game. Harder than the Archdemon fight, in my opinion, but not harder than the Gax King fight, also in my opinion. So that's a lot about Morgan in Origins. Um, I haven't gotten into the ritual yet, but I think um, those are the main plot points before you reach the end game. So do you have any thoughts on Morgan so far, Austin? Um, I just think that given her, like how callous she is, but like her sympathy for apostates and Maleficar are, is interesting to me because she does not have sympathy for mages in the circle, even mages who do not believe like the circle should be as oppressive as it is. Like when you first encounter Wynn and her group of people, she's basically just like, you should let them die. They're basically weak and unimportant anyway. Right. So I think it's interesting that it's only those who seek to actually break away from the oppression that are worthy of her attention and not the ones who are under the oppressive yoke of the Templars. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, are we ready to talk about one of the most important lore decisions in all of Dragon Age? And I don't say that lightly. I think I really do mean that. Okay, so the ritual, right? The dark ritual. We know we love it. We Some people don't love it. Um, Morgan is sent by Flemeth for this ritual. Like this, this is the reason she's joined you. Not because Flemeth is afraid the world is going to end. Not because Morgan wants to go. None of that. The ritual is why Flemeth sends Morgan to accompany the warden to fight the archdemon. It's obviously not out of the goodness of Flemeth's heart. It is so that she can convince the warden or a party member to complete what we refer to as the dark ritual. The dark ritual is a magic sex ritual in which Morrigan does have sex and conceive a child the night before the archdemon is killed. When the archdemon is killed, the old god's soul that is within the, within the archdemon is then transferred to the embryo or the zygote, I don't remember which one it is, in Morgan's womb. Therefore, the archdemon still dies, but the warden who kills the archdemon does not have to sacrifice themselves as well. 
Morgan offers this alternative to the to the hero of Ferelden on the eve of battle. As we know from our survey, which over a thousand people took, this is a very popular decision. Over 90%, I think it's 95% of people yeah. do the dark ritual. It's really statistically significant. So here are the options. If the warden rejects the ritual entirely, Morgan is outraged, shapeshifts into a wolf and leaves immediately. You don't get her for the battle. If the warden convinces Alistair or Loghain to do the dark ritual, they're very skeptical about it, but they do it. And if if the warden does the ritual themselves, they spend the night together and Morgan vanishes after their victory. This is especially heartbreaking for those who romanced Morgan. We will talk more about the old god baby that results from this union later in the episode when we get to her role in Inquisition. Um, but that's what happens in the ritual We'll talk more about Kieran later. Do you have any thoughts on the ritual before we go to our mid-break? I just have one question. So there is a unique world state where you can refuse to do the dark ritual, but Kieran still exists. How does that work? Like He's just she, a kid. He's just a yeah, kid. But so Morgan just sleeps with you and then leaves for the battle since you refused the ritual? Like, does she break up with you if you refuse the ritual? Like... I don't remember exactly because I've never done that, but she 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 breaks up with you no matter what because she right. leaves no matter what. Well, I guess technically you can if you romance her, you can sleep with her before that night. So I guess Kieran is conceived then. I guess I don't really know the answer to that question. I've never done that. So why don't that you look it up? Question. Why don't you look it up and report back? Okay, I will report back. It'll be in the Discord, so you should join the Discord. But let's go to our mid-break. Yes, that's right. I stopped you to tell you that I'm an idiot. Whew, thank the maker you know already. Now I can stop worrying, I'll be found out. Do try to have fun, dear. You could have been one of the Chargers, Blackwall. You've got the stature, the attitude, and you'd be my boss. Hey, I'm a great boss. I'm a firm believer in No Pants Fridays. I'd rather fight for a cause. Hey, No Pants Fridays is a cause. Hello and welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things about the podcast, but they don't have to do with the lore of the show. This is where we take our time to thank our patrons. And so I will get here and thank our first patrons who get read out every show. And so that is Lisa M, Genesis, and Derek B as our first ever patrons. And so thank you. Also a special thank you to our divine tier patron kit and our super, super, super special thank you to the one and only Nug King, Lewis H, who gets read out on every episode of the show. And then a special thank you to two of our new patrons who have recently joined Steve R and Ashley R. And so thank you so much for that support. And thank you to all of our patrons who support us from big to small. We greatly appreciate all of that support. And if you want to support us and join our Patreon, you can find that link in the episode description. You can support us in various tiers all across the board. 
Another great way to support us is to leave us ratings and reviews on Apple and Spotify. If you leave us five stars and some words, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. And I believe we have a review to read today. I think so. If we've read this one before, bear with me. If we haven't, sorry, this is so late. Um, This review is from Rowan Crossing, and this is what they say. So good. Five stars. If you're a Dragon Age fan who wants a fuller picture of the amazing lore of the world and history, this podcast is definitely the best choice. Shelby and Austin clearly know what they're talking about and make you think in new ways about the characters and events of the games with a lot of insight and new wants definitely give it a listen if you're a lore fiend like me orange heart emoji thank you so much yes thank you thank you and now i believe that's all we have for the middle of the show other than just me reminding you to join our discord server the cups podcasting and more you can hang out with us there talk about this show talk about our other shows talk about games share pictures of your dog it is a place to hang out as shelby says it is the best place on the internet and so please come and hang out with us in the discord all right let's get back to it beg that i succeed for i have seen the throne of the gods and it was empty your glibness does you no credit you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you yes swooping is All right, so let's talk about the Witch Hunt DLC, which I know a lot of people haven't played. um, But the Witch Hunt DLC is a DLC for Dragon Age Origins, and it occurs one year after the Battle of Denerim. Morgan is spotted in Ferelden, which is kind of the whole initiation for this dlc in the first place because her spotting her sighting is of course makes the hero frelden look for her so i usually only play this dlc with my morrigan romance playthrough because i think it makes the most sense that way now the dlc follows the story of your you're trying to look for morrigan and most likely your child i don't know why you would play this if you didn't have the child with morrigan um personally my opinion but the dlc culminates with the warden confronting morrigan in the dragon bone waste in the east side of Ferelden as she is about to step through at the time what looked like a magical portal in hindsight and retrospect we know that it was an alluvion um in the following conversation Morgan claims that there's a great change is coming to Thetis and so she has to leave to prepare for that change she also claims that Flemeth is the real threat to Thetis and that the hero of Ferelden should beware Flemeth. I think this speech sounds a lot like the speech that Flemeth gives to Hawk at the top of Sundermount in Dragon Age mm. 2. Yes, yes, it does. Um, and then the last thing that really happens in the Witch Hunt DLC is that the Warden can then go through the Alluvion to meet Kieran for themselves. Um, but you, we don't see this. You just know that it happens. So it's pretty short. It's nowhere near as big as Awakening. Um, it's just kind of a little, little taste of what happens after. A little epilogue. Yeah, yeah. All right. Are we ready to move to Inquisition? I am. 
Okay, so during the main quest, Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts, we learn that Empress Selene has a mage advisor who is set to leave the court and join the Inquisition. Near the end of the quest, she appears, and we learn that the advisor is none other than Morgan. So Morgan's been serving in this role since around 938 Dragon, which is about three years before Inquisition begins. According to the World of Thetis Encyclopedia and Dialogue with Morgan, she quickly became a darling of the court and trusted, well-trusted by Selene, who always wanted an advisor on magic who was not beholden to and formed by the Chantry's teachings on magic. Now, remember, Vivian also held this position. She was the first person to give this position real political power. We don't know if there were other people in this position between Vivian and Morgan, but we do know that they both held this position so it seems to me like Vivian kind of created this real position with power and pull and sway. Um, and Celine, when Vivian left or during her time, realized she wanted someone who was less formed by the circle. And I think you can see that Vivian would be very pro-circle, very formed by the circle in her magic, since the circle is all she knew. And so Celine wanted someone who was outside of that bubble. And well, Morgan fits the bill. Absolutely. Rumors abounded throughout Orlais that Morrigan was a dark influence on the throne. That kind of tracks. Yeah, I think so. I totally think so. Not that she is, but that people would think that. Um, so after Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts, Morgan joins the Inquisition as a liaison, technically, for Orlais, even though she doesn't really ever do anything to help Orlais or is never affiliated with Orlais other than serving in this one position. But really, she's trying to get rid of the people who are threatening her uh, or to get away from the people who are threatening her um, because she does feel threatened in her position. So she's trying trying to get out of that situation. And this is the best opportunity that's come along is kind of how I see it. Yep. So this is when we learn that Corypheus has also withdrawn to the Arbor Wilds. Morgan, of course, knows about the Alluvions and explains them to the Inquisitor. So she brings the Inquisitor through an Alluvion to the crossroads. This is in the main quest of the game. She explains that Corypheus wants an Alluvion so that he can get to the Fade and then after that, of course, the Black City. So when the Inquisition marches on the Arbor Wilds, Morrigan joins the party. I think that it's very fun to also bring Solus and just let them have at it. Um, it the dialogue is great. They then follow Corypheus to the Temple of Mythal. They also witness him die, disintegrate, and come back to life in the form of a Grey Warden. And then they basically flee inside the temple. Morgan continues theorizing throughout this whole entire quest about what Corypheus wants, what the Well of Sorrows is, why Corypheus wants the Well of Sorrows, all kinds of stuff. Um, there is some some elf-splaining that Morrigan does, especially if you are a Dalish Inquisitor. It's kind of annoying. Um, 
but she is theorizing the whole time. Solus does not, notably, he does not not join in at all whatsoever. Um, he's very ir- irritable and irritated to be there in general, which I find hilarious. That is hilarious. But when we reach the Well of Sorrows, we learn that it contains the collective knowledge of all the previous servants of Mithal, and drinking from it binds the person to the will of Mithal forever. Either the Inquisitor or Morrigan has to drink from the well before they return to Skyhold. Now, Morrigan does not know at this time that Mithal and Flemeth are the same person. No one does. No one does. That's true. You're right. After the Well of Sorrows happens, they go to the altar of Mithal. So there are a few different scenarios about how this can happen. If the dark ritual was completed, Kieran will go into Morrigan's Alluvion in the Fade, and then Morrigan will follow. They, with Inquisitor, find him with Flemethal. That's how I'm going to call her. Morrigan attempts to attack, and Flemethal commands whoever drank from the well to make her stop. This is the reveal that Flemeth is the vessel of Mithal. She then offers a deal. Flemeth keeps Kieran and Morrigan is freed. Or Kieran returns to Morrigan, but Flemeth will keep hunting her forever. Morrigan refuses the offer, willing to sacrifice her own body to her mother to spare her son. With that, Flemeth only takes the old god essence of Erthemiel from Kieran. Before departing, she tells Morrigan that she was never in danger because an unwilling host cannot be possessed. So that's if the dark ritual was completed. If there was no dark ritual, the Inquisitor and Morrigan go to the altar of Mithal and they encounter Flemeth, no Kieran, obviously. If Morrigan drank from the Well of Sorrows, Morrigan gains the ability to shapeshift into the dragon and battles with Corypheus's dragon. In the middle of the battle, she ends up defeated and is knocked out cold for the remainder of the fight. So all of that happens at the Temple of Mythal. Um, and then in the aftermath of Corypheus's defeat, a little bit later, Morrigan departs Skyhold for we don't know where. We don't know what's happened. We just know that she leaves. Um, she's most likely alive, but we don't know where she's gone. Her accomplishments, I think notably, she's got three major accomplishments. First and foremost is healing from any of the trauma that was inflicted upon her by Flemeth to then become a good mother to Kieran. Um, I think that's her her primary accomplishment. And like I hate to say that a woman's only achievement in life is to be a mother because it's that's absolutely not your only goal in life as a woman i speak like for myself too but for morgan to be able to get to that place where she is a good mother to kieran is a feat and i'm so proud of her for that so i think kieran is a great accomplishment um and then her other two i think her time in orlay and her serving um the hero Ferelden under the the fifth blight those are massive accomplishments that we should absolutely not skim over but kieran is the number one for me i just i'm just proud of her for being a good mom you know yeah Okay, so 
I have two quotes that I want to say first, and then I want us to compare some quotes. So here are two quotes that I just think are interesting. The first one, it says, you look upon the world around you and you think you know it well. I have smelled it as a wolf, listened as a cat, proud shadows that you never dreamed existed. Interesting. Then the second one is men are always willing to believe two things about a woman. One, that she's weak and two, that she finds him attractive. So I just enjoy those two quotes. And the first one about dreams I find interesting, but I want to compare quotes from origins to inquisition now. So I have three from each. These first three are from origins. How odd. We now have a dog and Alistair is still the dumbest one in the party. This one is about the circle, and she says, So all the mages are locked within, a fitting end for all those who gave up on their own freedom. And then lastly, if you intimidate Lothering's revered mother, she says, Now we threaten priests? How fun! So those are three uh, dark, violent quotes from Morgan from Origins. But now I want to read three quotes from Inquisition. To Flemeth, she says, I am many things, but I will not be the mother that you were to me. Mm -hmm. The next one is the magic of old must be preserved no matter how feared. And lastly, she says, mankind blunders through the world, crushing what it does not understand. Elves, dragons, magic, the list is endless. We must stem the tide or be left with nothing more than the mundane. This I know to be true. I wanted us to take a few minutes to talk about these quotes and the sheer difference between them from Origins to Inquisition and what they suggest about her character development between the three games. I think the one, the biggest thing for me, the difference between both shows someone who has matured, someone who has lived life, someone who has experienced and had their worldview changed. Um, I think that in Dragon Age Origins, she kind of comes, she's presented as this really kind of young, callous, like, oh, look, the world is harsh in power. I'm going to be really uh, funny and dark and really like violence and all of that to Dragon Age Inquisition when we get a true and deep character foil to Vivian. Mm. Um, To where Vivian is at this point of magic will burn you or magic is a fire and those who forget that will be burned to morgan magic of old must be preserved no matter how feared they very much are very well thought out and well you know backed up positions that each of these mages come to and their exact opposites and i think that especially her speech about you know crushing what it does not understand like if we're not careful if we're too fearful of magic you know, if we're too fearful of fire, it'll go out and then we won't be warned. And I think that that is a really important point of character development that I think a lot of people might not get to if they're not fully talking to Vivian and they're not fully talking to Morrigan. 
of these two very, very well thought out and well defended opposite points on the issue of magic. Yeah, I very much agree with you. And I think that Morgan, as she's portrayed in Origins, is very much just like the basic evil goth girlfriend who's like hot and has boobs. Like that's her role in Origins. And I feel like they really deepen it in Inquisition. But I also see her like, you're right, in Origins, she's so young. She hasn't seen anything. She hasn't seen any part of the world. These quotes to me very much read as someone who's never failed. Someone who, Mm -hmm. like you Yes, she's been put down by her mom, but she's never like outside of her family. She's never gone and been beaten up in a fight. She's never had to see the harsh realities of the world. She's only seen the harsh realities of her home. And those are two very different things because she's she's been sheltered and at the same time, not at all sheltered. So it's it's a very odd existence, I think. Um, so her quotes and origins very much read as someone who hasn't seen anything, any part of the world. Mm-hmm. She's just been like force fed these values. And then by the time you get to Inquisition, she's got her own values. She's matured. She's grown. She's seen pain and suffering, but also joy and happiness and injustice and justice. And she has things she wants to live for and she has causes she wants to fight for. It's so very different from the Morrigan of origins, but not so different that it's a different character entirely. It's someone Mm -hmm. who has grown from and taken like the starting point and become a better person. And it makes total sense, especially when you think about the games themselves, like origins, the characters are very young with the exception of Ogren, Stan and Wynn, your companion characters are not characters who have lived life. They are untested heroes, heroes who are trying to find their way in the world. I mean, the warden, no matter what origin is like very early twenties, as is Alistair, as is Zevran, Liliana has, Zevran, Liliana, and Morgan have all been sheltered, abused, and have some kind of trauma that they're not really ready to deal with the world. Yeah. Um, And so you get that, whereas you compare that to Inquisition, like Inquisition companions are tested heroes. They are like, sure, the Inquisitor might be kind of a nobody, but not really. And, and they're, they're also not young. A lot of them are supposed to be in their 30s, 40s, and older. Right. But like Cullen, Cassandra, Solus, Blackwall, Iron Bull, Vivian, like all of them are well-tested, like adventurers or warriors or anything like that. Josephine, Liliana, like all of them are these well-tested individuals who have experienced life, who have been through a lot of things. So, of course, Morgan has to rise to that, has to find a way writing wise to get to that point. Otherwise, she doesn't match with everyone else around her. Absolutely. So where are they now? Um, She's alive, technically, but will she appear in Dragon Age Dreadwolf? I don't know. On November 11th of 2022... Amy Evans at Amy Pisces on Twitter tweeted and said, two things coming question mark praise for the Dragon Age to be one of them praise for Dragon Age to be one of the two things. But I know we won't find out until we can play the game. This is in reference to wondering if Morgan will be a Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Claudia Black 
who voiced Morgan, replied on the same day, November 4th, 2022, and said, spoiler, I'm not in this one. Okay, so we know Morgan at least will not appear voiced in this game. Or they gave her a new voice actress. Yeah, which I think I'd be upset about. I would be very upset about that. I don't think they would do that. I feel like she's a very iconic voice actress. No. Um, and I feel like with her kind of role and like her tenure at Bioware, because she is obviously Admiral Zen in Dry- in Mass Effect 2 and 3. And so I think that we will see if Morgan's going to appear, I think it's going to be either mentioned or voiced by Claudia Black. Um, yeah. But I do think, I think that Flemeth is behind Solus. Say more. I think that in a lot of ways, I wouldn't be surprised if we learn that the Evan Nuris are actually like some kind of merge between mortal and spirit. Because I've seen the theory float around that Solus is actually a spirit of wisdom. Um, and with with some of the things we've seen in Dragon Age Absolution, it kind of lended a little bit of credence to this theory. But let's talk about really that like wisdom often turns to pride. Solus's name needs pride. Mythal is the goddess of justice. We know that when justice corrupted, it becomes vengeance. And vengeance in a way it does not care who it hurts. Could Mythal in this kind of bonding with Plymouth have had this sense and the spirit of justice corrupted to a point that she is really all about vengeance. And so she's ready to tear down the veil to bring forth the Evanuris so she can kill them. And then she doesn't care that the result is going to end in a destruction of the world. And she's using solace to make that as a means to get that. Right. Because she knows that Fen Harrell loves her and will do whatever he needs for her. Because whether it's romantic love, we can argue, but Fen Harrell has a deep admiration and respect for Mythal. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it doesn't necessarily explain why Fen Harrell himself created the veil. Right. Um, he might have not known that Mythal was truly dead. Like, he might have not known that Mythal kind of went into this Flemeth kind of stance which makes sense like and i'm going to connect this back to morgan if i guess she sends morgan because she doesn't think because she's old that she could appeal to the um hero of ferelden or maybe well maybe because morgan a little more inexperienced i guess than flemeth might be and so maybe like a lot of magics like that kind of role plays a more potent role in magic yeah but don't you think that has more to do with like her ability to have children in general like physically that's that's true but she's been having daughters for thousands of years i guess that's true but my thing about this is morgan is maybe there is something about the arch demon soul the soul of an old god that will give mythal the power to be stronger than the Evanuris that are trapped behind the veil. I I greatly think that something about Flemeth and Morrigan and this old god soul 
is going to come into play in Dragon Age Dreadwolf. I think that there is something behind the veil that we don't know that Ben Harrell wants to release or get to before it becomes too strong. I agree. I agree. And I also, I don't think that Flemethal is dead based on the end of Inquisition either. No, I think that she is either a part of Fen Harrell and guiding him through all of this things, or she is somewhere else. And like, this is not the first time that Flemeth has been killed on screen and come back later. Right. But I don't want to talk about Flemeth. I want to finish talking about Morrigan. Sorry yes. to burst your bubble. We will talk about Flemeth soon and very soon, actually, um, in season five. So stay tuned. But <laughs> let's finish up this episode by talking about whether or not we love or hate Morgan. Or if you're somewhere in between. Why don't you go first, Austin? Um, I very much love Morgan. I definitely trust Morgan more than probably the in-game players do um i don't i trust more again to like try to be a good person and work for the good of the world i don't trust morgan to always know exactly what she's getting into i think is really which is why i'm like has even in my thing i'm like hesitant I'm like morgan i don't want to let you drink from the well of sorrows because you have an in a tendency to be impulsive and not really think through your decisions well, I mean, isn't that what the whole Well of Sorrows thing is, too? Like, it's another yeah. example of that. But no, I agree. I very much love Morgan. I feel like I've gushed a little bit about her in this episode. I just, I enjoyed her romance, but I enjoy her most as a best friend to my hero, mm -hmm. Ferelden. Um, yes. I just love it. And I'm especially love and I am especially proud of her and her character growth and all of that. Um like I've said in the episode. So I do enjoy Morgan. Um, I know she's a fan favorite. She gets a lot of attention, but it's for good reasons, I think. Right. And I think that from another standpoint, at least for Morgan, I think I'm really in two schools of camp. I'm okay with her not being in another game ever again, because especially if you've done the ritual and you have the scene with Kieran, like she is free Mithal promises to never come after her again, to never hunt her ever again. And so she agrees to never come after her again. And so I'm okay with her not being there and that being the end of her story and that Morrigan gets to go live in peace. It's kind of like the same thing with Cullen. Like, okay, yeah, we've done a lot of stuff. I'm ready for her to like have her happy every ever after and live in peace. But I also think that if we do come into a point where Flemeth Mithal is the villain we're after. I don't think that it is within her character for Morgan to sit in hiding and not do something. I agree. Unless she's dead or unless she's bound to the Well of Sorrows and can't. Right. There's a lot of unlesses in that situation. Uh -huh. But I do think that I'm probably in like a 70-30, 70%. I don't think she's showing up in Dragon Age Dread Wolf at all. And then 30%, like, we might get a mention or something like that. Yeah. Okay, well, is there anything you else you want to say about Morgan or talk about while we're here? Um, she is much more than the hot uh, booby goth girl. Agreed. 
All right. Well, if that's all we got, thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. A special thank you to our Nug King patron, Lewis H. Thank you for your support. And we will all see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora, and all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.